Hello, welcome to the Ruby Rogues podcast. I'm your host this week, Luke Stuffers, and with me is your co-host, Valentino Stoll. Hey now. What we're talking about this week is unfinished business. Everyone I know in the world of software development has those projects which either never get finished or often never get started. Those projects which have been through maybe a couple of different frameworks, maybe a couple of different languages, but they never actually get out of the door. But there's something about them. There's something about that idea that just makes you keep coming back for more. Sometimes these projects even go out to customers sometimes these projects are kind of there with clients right now making money but for some reason they've never really gone past that two three four people stage Valentino, i understand you've got some unfinished business but before you tell us about your unfinished business i want to talk about my (laughs) unfinished business hey folks this is charles maxwood from top end devs and lately i've been working on actually building out top end devs if you're interested you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, That's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. I have a project with a client that was using Hotwire before Hotwire came out. So this was what? Last year? Uh, How how was this possible, (laughs) Valentino asks, or doesn't ask? How was it possible, Luke, that you had a project that used Hotware before Hotware came out? Well, it's because when when the DHH, when the Basecamp guys put up their page, I thought, wow, it looks really cool, right? And I remember Turbolinks from like kind of 2012 kind of era, and I remember that bar going across the page, and it never worked, and we always used to turn it off. But this time around, it looked cool and fun. So I thought, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that. I'm going to use that system, and I'm going to do something with it. And a job came in. You know how jobs come in? How do they come in? Well, you know you know how, we, how when you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to do something, and then someone comes to you and says, hey, why don't you do that? It's like they've read your mind. You have that experience? <laughs> sure, everyone does. Oh, yeah. Computing is like kind of a nonstop group thing. So a project came in saying, oh, we really need this thing. And I thought, it's going to be, it's going to use Turbo. It's going to be that kind of replacing the elements over a over a pipe. But we're going to do it. So I built my own turbo backend using some sample code, which I found for PHP, where they'd, they'd also seen the kind of uh, hot wire stack and thought, oh, yeah, that looks really cool. So I kind of made my own kind of uh, non-Rails backend. And voila, we had kind of responsive service. So when you say, so when you, say you made your own... When you made your own turbo backend, you mean a WebSocket connection and HTML over the wire? Do you know what I didn't know? Well, yes and no, because I can't do anything the easy <laughs> way, Valentino. I just I just can't. So 
I don't like web sockets. There's no, there's no rational reason not to like them, especially now. I just don't like them. I just don't, I just don't feel good about a web socket. I think it's because everything's going to the same endpoint and it just doesn't sit right. They, I think they, they kind of missed the point. Web sockets kind of missed the point of, of URLs. So I use uh, server, server sent events, SSEs, and there's two reasons why I do that. First, it's not a web socket, which is great from my point of view. And secondly, it's one directional. I don't, I don't really like the kind of bi-directional web socket stuff. So it just kind of keeps it conceptually really simple. So I made this thing. It went to the client, but it never, it never went anywhere. You know, I, it never got turned into a product, never got kind of rolled out it's sitting there. It's making money, but you know, there's, I, I, there's obviously an opportunity there, right? You know, I mean, the thing's moving money, but it's never really got past that next stage. So I have so many questions. <laughs> right? <laughs> how, right? How did? At what point did the money start in this whole process? Did you make it first? Did you have the people lined up for the product? Uh, did the business I, already exist? I used to I used to kind of run a micro micro development company, and we had a few bad projects. Do you know what I mean? Where we kind of took the money and... It went bad. <laughs> no, you don't. You're a professional. Well, listen, welcome to the world of software entrepreneurial uh, spirit. Sometimes you do a job and you mess it up. <laughs> so I had a kind of, I had a thing where I was kind of, we'd taken in kind of, um, I don't know, five, $8,000, not an enormous amount, right? But a significant amount. And it didn't work and we couldn't do it. So to maintain that relationship, I did a couple of years of free work for that client <laughs> just to kind of make up for this incredibly <laughs> embarrassing failure which worked by the way if you work for someone for two years they, they really really you know don't get paid they really really end up liking you so that's a really top tip if you're working as a consultant if you want to repair a relationship just don't get paid for years <laughs> but since then i've been really wary by the way listeners that's terrible advice <laughs> 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 oh no it's, it's turned into a comedy show again the, since then, for, for, for personal projects I, I do have a day job right so this is kind of i'm not good working as a kind of uh all out consultant so i have a kind of a gig these are all kind of side things i've been incredibly wary of charging any money up front until i have the concept whatever that is until it's the script the core problem until i know it's going to work. I don't like to take any money through the door at all. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, so, there's a reason I'm no longer in, in consulting. <laughs> yeah, because yes, I don't get... miss things like this. Because how, how do you juggle cash flow when you're a consultant? It's uh, almost impossible task. Well, on the one hand, you don't <laughs> want to turn the work down. But on the other hand, you know, if the job's really profitable, it's also really hard. So you have to kind of walk that line. And now, you know, these days, because I've kind of got regular money coming through from other things i'm not I've, I've gone all the way over to the other side of the line so my answer is I'll, I'll make the attempts but don't even try and pay me until i'm absolutely sure i can deliver on this for you so this is this was fine right this is this is a happy a happy situation okay but it kept going wrong valentino this, i made this thing it was kind of working away it was um, a kind of sinatra back end with a kind of custom pre-turbo implementation it was the version of turbo which had one of the really big bugs in it it was the version of turbo where it had a real kind of showstopper bug on the the page changing one of the kind of beaters and i just turned it off 
so it worked. But uh, that was live, it's in production, but the database kept failing, and I couldn't work out why. Why the database kept failing? So I, I, after a few months of this, of the database running out of connections, running out of capacity, I kind of dialed in and looked at the monthly reports about how much, you know, business this system was doing. And it was like kind of five figures a month. So at that point, I decided, you know, maybe this person should have a support contract, right? If you're moving five figures a month through through a system, you know, that should that should probably have some kind of backups or even source control, quality control. It should have something, right? It should have some meat behind it. Because every day that system doesn't work, you're losing hundreds of bucks. So it's kind of the opposite of software as a service. You know what I mean? It's where kind of people people continually continually use it, and then every so often I receive money. If only there was a way you could make a product out of it. Quite so. <laughs> Quite so. I mean, so so there we go. This is a niche thing I built. It works. It's profitable. It's reliable. I don't really spend much time on it. You get the occasional request, but generally it just sits there really happily working away. But I've never tried to kind of go out and kind of sell it to anyone else. I've never really invested in it. And maybe I should, you know, I've got to think back in my mind. I think, you know, you know what, maybe maybe that should be what I'm doing. You know, maybe that's going to be my, my base camp, my Facebook. But the day job, you just, just, yeah, you know, just can't get on it. That's such a common problem with consulting, right? Like you've gone and you've committed to, to building something for somebody that's very specific. They don't really care how you build it. They just want the end result, right? And sometimes the things that you build end up being kind of ubiquitous, right? Where I, I want to use Rails as, as an example, but it was built with a different purpose. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> but, you know, let's say Rails with Basecamp, right? Like they had this thing that they knew that they could make Basecamp with, right? Mm-hmm. And they ended up using it for that purpose. But if, as a consultant, if you end up doing that, you know, there's all these issues of, okay, well, what does the client own? What what do you own, right? And how do you really, you know, reuse something? Because uh, you could probably go now and remake all the stuff that you have pretty easily. I sure. imagine if you needed to, right? So I mean, sure. how do you? Well, how does how does one even think about extracting out their idea? This is exactly. Right? Like, so, so this let's is, say that this is, you know, this is my problem. I have all the time, <laughs> right? Like I'm working on stuff all the time. I make something that I think is great and it works, and I I I start seeing other applications for for it. I always miss the next step. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that seems to be my unfinished business, right? So Where I've given, I've given you the preamble. I've created this thing. I've built this tool. Yep, exactly. I mean, I'm with you there. Like you've so you've built this tool, and you've actually identified a money making opportunity out of the tool that you made. Right. This is not an episode about my awful business practices. This is not an episode about me failing failing to make money this is an episode about unofficial business <laughs> about specifically unfinished technology unfinished products unfinished technology gems unfinished concepts right what's unfinished about that is not the thing the client wanted because clients are really happy to make money you know they're like brilliant we love it yeah what's unfinished to me is that I did this novel thing, yeah? I used this kind of really new technology at the time, which is Turbo. I developed my own way of kind of doing it and then missing that in to the front end. I think it had a stimulus controller on it. I'm sure it did. And I had this really nice, really tight, really kind of micro stack to it. But 
I didn't then extract that. I didn't then turn it into a kind of really good blog post, a really good thing. And it's just kind of sitting there as something which could go on to be to be a system, to be a gem, to be a product, to be a kind of micro framework, but it's never escaped. That's what I talk about, unfinished business. The actual, oh, this is a terrible title, isn't it? I don't mean unfinished business. I mean like unfinished unfinished code, unfinished libraries, unfinished ideas. This is what I'm talking about. Yeah, the creative side of unfinished. <laughs> and I think it's a confidence problem. One thing DHH does not lack is confidence. The man is incredibly confident, for better or worse. And, you know, every time I listen to him, every time I read his writing, I always think, yeah, let's get out there. Let's go and make something, ah! you know. And even when he's not successful, it just he seems to drive him on more. Whereas, I, you know, I, I kind of feel guilty. I feel guilty about my code quite a lot. I'm not saying it keeps me up at night, but sometimes I write things and I get worried about it later. Do you have experience? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have. You, I have know, you know who else uh, reminds me, gets me inspired like that is uh, Jose Valim. Uh, I just heard a talk of, of his talking about his path to Elixir. And he, he also has a similar, just go build it, let's do this kind of spirit about him. Uh, every every time I hear him talk also, you know, it gets you going and you start to build something and then it ends up in the pile. <laughs> right. And the, the software not, graveyard, you know, not every idea is a winner. Some some software should be left unfinished. Some things, some ideas, you know, should should never have been released <laughs> at all. I'm not naming any names or languages, but some ideas, you know, they never they're never finished because because they're bad, you know, and you think, oh, don't want to show that to anyone. Uh, I'll keep that to myself. But other things, you know, they, they, they just kind of stay with you. Just think, oh, man, if only I had that weekend found, you know, if only I had that couple of days where I could just concentrate on that one thing and kind of get it to the next stage. But you never do. You never have those couple of days where you can just sit there with just you, just a laptop. Never seems to happen. I know, you know, I, I have about an hour a day that I spend every morning just for free time working on various things, working uh -huh. on the cultivating the graveyard, seeing if I can resurrect anything from the dead, <laughs> as it were. Oh, uh, and, you know, I, I'll, I'll make pretty good progress on something. Like the other day, I have I have this app I, I like to work on where I, uh -huh. once you get far enough along in your career, you start to get inundated with recruiter emails. I don't know if you never had also inundated with no, these emails. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> but some of them are potential leads, let's just sure. say. Right? Like they they can be they can be companies that and descri job descriptions that maybe sound like they could be fun to work on. You know, I'm still not mm -hmm. interested. But maybe other people out there would be interested in this particular one that I would get from time to time. And so I thought, yeah. well, why let these just end up in my trash box? And so I built this little app that I could just forward these emails onto and it would make a job posting. <laughs> and so that I could a create a job board that's curated. It would, it would be curated by job by email forwards. <laughs> so does that is that is that a recruitment agency or a subcontracting business? Well, right now it's nothing. It's in the graveyard, <laughs> right? Because, I mean, I, I have a you know a Heroku app somewhere. <laughs> because you know, actually, I, I, actually, I don't know. That's I think it's a that's brilliant part concept. of my problem. <laughs> I think it's a brilliant concept. I love it. You get an but, email. You know, I tell you what the email says. The intro says, "Valentino, we need you as the CTO of a vibrant cryptocurrency startup." 
Yeah. So the email comes in, your system gets it, <laughs> extracts the text using a bit of natural language processing, who knows, and then creates on the Heroku app a depersonalized, I presume, job advert yep. that anyone can apply for. Exactly. So, so that's been kind of one of my pet projects. And, you know, but there's nothing there. Uh, it's more it was an exploration of technology for me. So I tried out Rails, you know, receiving of mails, ingesting those into a, some kind mailer? of data, parsing the data, summarizing it with some machine uh-huh. learning. Um, that's pretty cool. And and then, uh, you know, kind of just an administrative side of it that can curate and uses all of uh, the new active record encryption stuff so that as you're reviewing, uh, you can only see certain types of stuff from it. You don't get to see any of the people's emails that were sent to it. You know, all of that is anonymized. Mm-hmm. I was just playing around, you know, messing with with various tools that are out there now. And I want to go down. Uh, the you know, I, I thought it could be maybe useful for some. <laughs> I want to go down the rabbit there are, hole. There are way too many kind of things. You said yeah. the magic words. There, there were just way are. too many things for me where I was just like, I don't know if I want to release this. <laughs> you said the magic words. And that's and we have to that's go kind of down. one of my hiccups. We have to listen. You said the magic words. The magic words are machine learning in Ruby. Oh, yeah. Those, those are the magic words. So how? I want to know now. Come on. How did you do your uh, natural language processing and machine learning? How did you do it? Because one of the big gaps I've got in my portfolio of go-to things in the Ruby ecosystem is a decent machine learning library. Yeah, I mean, I'd hate to say it, but I used an external service. <laughs> you used Python, didn't you? Go on a minute. Uh, to, I didn't use Python, <laughs> but I did oh. use... <laughs> I, I know did use, one. what was it, TinyML, I believe. Uh, yeah, oh, oh, I, I thought you were going to say, like, uh, was it something free, the Microsoft one? The invitation one? What's it called? The, um... oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did, I did consider using... Uh, TensorFlow for it because they have a nice little JavaScript front end, just kind of nice. You can pipe things into. And I already had a node server up, so I did weigh that option, but I didn't want to add another service. In fact, I can't think what what it's called. Kind of indicates my level of familiarity with these technologies. But so you what you did, you piped it to a web service and they did the machine learning for you. I'm not interested in that. See, that's why the project's not finished because yeah. because of the shame of use of doing it that way. <laughs> this is why you haven't finished it because you're ashamed of using an API instead of having it running on your own processor like a real man. I was, I was, I. You know, I needed. I need really. What I need is, you know, a neural net I can run in Ruby, uh-huh. and it could just consume all of these emails and output job listings. <laughs> and I think that's a big part. The, of the ultimate ideal for me. The the big part of the anatomy is that of an unfinished project. The anatomy of that unfinished business <laughs> is that you don't continue with it because it does it in the wrong way. So you've used. Or oh, I've sure. used a technology that works, but I just don't like that technology. It's not that there's a kind of technical <laughs> problem with it. It just doesn't fit my ideals of how a program should work. <laughs> but I think with you, maybe yeah, a, maybe the biggest problem. Maybe I, I've suggested big, maybe the biggest problem with your unfinished uh, business there is a kind of an ethical problem. <laughs> it's certainly an ethical problem. Like I. I don't think I would release this because there are so many ethical problems. <laughs> and so mostly, you know, at, at first it seems, okay, I, I would just keep it for myself, right? I would forward any emails right. I get and then forward along. But then it's like, well, do these people sending the emails to me want it publicly posted? 
is it my information to post on their behalf? Uh, they probably they, they not. trusted you. So, <laughs> they trusted me to my personal inbox <laughs> with this key information of theirs. And, then uh, and so then it just becomes like, I guess, a, a personal database that I get to actually delete emails from that I won't read and still save them for another purpose later. I, I don't know. <laughs> I think this is just a massive ego trip. I've got to say, I think this is this is like turning down <laughs> girls when you, you ask you to prom. This is this is just uh, Valentino's list of rejected, <laughs> spurned. Spurned advances, spurned professional advances. No, I jest, of course. What really interests me is that it could go two ways in my mind. The first way is that you become the recruiter and you kind of take your own 10% in additional to their exorbitant fee. And I personally know someone who's made in excess of £15,000 by finding a Rails developer a job. And that's not what's that best part of 20,000 wow. bucks for getting someone high. This is a crazy market. So you're taking your own kind of percentage there in, in addition to their percentage, <laughs> right? So I, that's one way it could go. But the other way, the way that really appeals to me with this system is that you hire these people and then don't tell the original recruiter that they're not you. So you, could, you, <laughs> you then use this as a man in the middle attack between this this um, this this job, this professional post, and the people actually doing the work. So in this scenario, <laughs> there may be as many as 10, 15 Valentino stalls, all working for different companies, but all of that correspondence is getting funneled through this system onto these individual developers. And these developers think, you know, that they're, that they're working for these companies, but they're not. They're actually working for Valentino. <laughs> You know, it's it's kind of, it's funny to joke about this stuff. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, you know, we're able to make it, right? Like, there, this is just one thing of many, right? And I imagine you have one thing of many, where you were just building something because you thought, thought it was interesting and it happened to apply to the tasks that you had. For me, I was just something, I was trying to learn something new. And this was what I happened to be thinking about at the time. But the fact that we can create it with all of these tools we have available. And I mean, it didn't really take me that long. And I can't imagine that you spent your life's work on this project of yours. <laughs> right. You know, with Ruby and Rails, you know, we could do so much. <laughs> and I just, it reminds, like, here's another example, right? Sure. So I, I have another piece in the graveyard, which is an Alexa skill. And so if you're not familiar, Alexa is this, Amazon version of uh, you know voice command. So you say, I hey, got one. It was a mistake. Alexa, I wish me, I'd never bought give it. Give me a song or something like this. It's terrible. <laughs> but this one, I just buy. wanted to. The, I wanted to have the news read to me in a very specific accent. So the, for me, I wanted it. I, 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 <laughs> British I have accent. a lot of relatives in the south, and so like I found this sure. redneck translator, and I said, "Hey, I wanted to say, give me the news headlines from the south." <laughs> And it was, and you know, this was a time where Trump was, you know, kind of ramping up for his his presidency, and I thought it was kind of funny to have like Trump headlines read from a the perspective of a redneck. Could, could you? Could and you do and maybe a redneck, redneck is probably the me? wrong term, but 
I'm not sure if I know what kind of accent you're referring to. Could you could you give me an example of what this it's might a sound southern like? accent? Uh, unfortunately, I'm not. You know, but I'm not the best of our international accents. listeners. I think you really should give us an example. Uh, I can't. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and do it. I'm gonna try and do it if you don't. Well, go ahead, Luke. Let's let's hear your southern accent. Oh man, put myself on the spot now. Are we going? Are we going Louisiana or are we going? Are we going west? How? How? Let's how? Where, where, do you, where do you want it? <laughs> Good morning, Valentino. The news today. How's that? That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I spent I spent a few weeks building. <laughs> so yes, it. I made the skill. I I built this skill with Ruby that did this right. I I reached out to some news API. I forget which one it was at the time. I got the headlines and a summary of the news clipping, and I found some, you know, Southern translator online, and I went and scraped their page and dumped the text into their form and hit submit and had them translate and fetched it back, and then it would t- speak back that just plain text response. And obviously, hearing the voice, you know, just say these words together doesn't make it sound how it might sound. <laughs> But it got it kind of made it funnier that way, right? <laughs> but you know, it my next step was to use because so like Alexa, they have like a, a language ML that allows you to like kind of shape the voice a little better and massage it so that you can change the inflection points and like the breaking, you know, break out the spacing. Uh, and so my next step was oh, to try man. and like get and force her to talk in this way <laughs> I, I don't know where this is going uh, i so don't really I, like know, where this has is ended going. up in the graveyard <laughs> thank god for that thank god for that um thought that there's anything wrong with having a southern accent my word the i spent i spent a very happy um few weeks in dallas building up a major data center many years ago and i had the most wonderful time uh, working twenty hour days, moving literally pallets of hard drives and servers. It was it was really a wonderful a wonderful trip, but uh, wonderful people. I can't do accents, but and it sounds like, for fortunately, your computer can't do them either. But I don't know. I don't, I'm, I'm just I'm just I'm just shocked by this revelation. Really, um, <laughs> redneck news. So I'm here with JD from Raygun. JD. Why did you start Raygun? You know, I I started Raygun. It was actually our 11th product that we built. So, you know, if you're a fellow software engineer thinking you want to build something and build a business, this was the 11th try, right? And we built it because way back when I was writing more code for customers, I used to instrument my code to send an email to myself when something went wrong. And it would let me kind of get in front of the issue before the customer complained. And so we built a a whole product called Raygun for crash reporting initially. Uh, It expanded out into other areas, but it was really just building a full solution to what I'd been doing years earlier to try and build better software. I love that. Just scratching your own itch. It makes a ton of sense. And, And I do that too with some of the stuff that I'm doing, either with podcasting or programming. Yeah, absolutely. The The most awkward thing was when we actually instrumented some of those prior 11 products. And that's when we realized that about 1% of users will ever actually report an issue. And you go, oh, we might have been a lot more successful earlier if we'd known that. <laughs> so that's kind of the whole value prop of Raygun. Yep, absolutely. 
And it, it makes sense just to put it in there. So folks, if you're looking to try something like this, that'll tell you what your problems are, go check out raygun.com and get a free trial. You know, we'll just say, so let me, let me apply it to uh, the UK as an example, right? Like sure. imagine you can get the news read in various boroughs of the UK. I don't know if yeah, you yeah, call yeah. them boroughs or not, but you know, various districts, right? Like areas. So there, there are different yeah. flavors of, the way British speak, right? And so if you could have your news kind of in a, a different accent, it would kind of be amusing, I would think. I agree. And let's face it, what with today's events, the, the news we're getting these days, then I think that that could be something that people would find reassuring to to, to get their uh, information in a comical Portsmouth accent, which is where I'm from. <laughs> I, I, I must add, I am from the deep south of the United Kingdom. I'm about as south as it goes. You know, you're getting for any. So you're south, familiar. You're no wonder you nailed that accent. And the accent of my hometown is a is a nationally known accent. I don't know if you know the series Will and Grace. Well, before Will and Grace uh, yes, on American yes, yes. TV, uh, there was a show called Gimme, 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 which featured a um, flamboyant man and his female housemate. And she was from Portsmouth. And she was a very coarse lady and unsophisticated. And that, unfortunately, is the now the Portsmouth stereotype. It's a sailor's town. It's a working class town, and we have a, a very particular way of speaking, which I won't go into now. But we're we're very proud of it, and I can do the accent, but I won't. I won't. <laughs> I so try, try to get it back on track, Luke. Trying to get it back on track. What I really meant by unfinished business was was technology. I really want to talk about these these projects where we just start exploring technology. We never quite get down that route of technology. So for what you're saying, this accent, was it the API? Was it the concept? Which bit were you playing with? Where you thought, oh, this is actually really hard. Was it the creative process of creating, tuning these settings? You know, it, it started getting down to, I don't want to say DSL, but uh-huh. kind of the internal infrastructure that was set up around shaping the languages that created a barrier a language you know not language but uh, a knowledge gap for me right because i then had to start learning about linguistics in order to understand Mm. and apply all of the apis that existed within that alexa framework so right you know i I I wasn't really familiar with linguistics yeah i mean i don't know how to you know i don't know how to pull apart the vocal aspects of somebody speaking a language uh, let alone an accent and so you know obviously amazon had much more experience with linguistics and maybe how some of these fluctuations happen. So they had patterned the APIs needed to build on top of that, uh, yeah. off of these terms for linguistic expression. And, uh, you know, it, I, I was lost kind of in translation there. <laughs> yeah. So while I understood the technologies used to build all these things and put them together, there was another technology on top of it, which was purely built off of all the terminology I wasn't familiar with. And for me, that kind of like, I just, I didn't have the time for it. <laughs> I'm going to show my age here and talk about Dragon Dictate. Did you have Dragon Dictate? Oh, yeah. I used to use so that. 
this is a this is a 1990s era program. We're going all the way back to Windows 98 here, so that that golden semi pre-internet age of computing. And I had a program called Dragon Dictate, and this not only would speak, make your computer speak, but it would also listen. So I wrote loads of these scripts so I could command my PC to open programs and maybe even run my own program. And I would open my web browser, much like Jean-Luc Picard would uh, talk to his computer uh, in Star Trek The Next Generation. And now we're walking around with it on our phone. You know, I, I can dictate an email. It's, it's, uh, so there we go. Remember, remember Dragon Dictate? A bit of a snippet for you. I've got a, I've got a little project where, like you, it's hit a bit of a wall. I moved out of my comfort zone. And instead of facing it head on, I've kind of stalled out. And this project started off as a Vue app. Now, I know you use a lot of Vue. Oh, yeah. If we have a huge, say, uh, if you want to call it monolithic client side app at Doximity, it's fair to say you've got views on Vue. <laughs> I, I do have quite a lot of views on Vue. <laughs> For the record, I think Vue is great. And as previously discussed, I use Vue because uh, the guy who did the how to Vue videos also did Rails for Zombies. And I can never remember his name, but he's amazing. And he did the intro. Oh, I love uh, those Rails of Zombies. <sighs> so good so he did the food videos so i kind of started just because he did it and i stayed with it because it really is quite tidy especially for something straightforward you're in and out before you'd know it whereas with other stuff like react the level of initial investment is really much higher but i've got this project and it's a voo app yeah, I mean, there's so much Vue in it. It basically is a Vue app. It's not on the back end or the back end of Sinatra, but on the front end, it's a Vue app. And there's a lot of Vue. I mean, it uses it uses pretty much, it gets all of the toys out of the box for Vue. It really, it's really quite a workout. And this, this could be commercial. So I've got people looking at this. People want to buy it. They want it now. They want to release it. They want to pay me before I've released it. Somebody sent me money the other game against my will, Valentino. Have you ever had that? Oh, yeah, all the time. They, they started, they, they sent me money against my will, and I have to do an invoice. But people, people are really keen on this, right? So this is a project where people want it. It's not like your project, Valentino. It's not like your bizarre southern news reading project. This is a real project. But I assure you, this project, is far less complete, far less realized than your news reading app. And let me tell you why. It's because I keep changing the stack. Yeah. So I just keep rewriting it. Start as so a which, real app. Which aspects of the stack? Every aspect. Every single thing on this every project aspect. has been completely <laughs> rewritten. It's never got out the door. Every time I show it to people, they want to buy it. But I just, I just can't stop rewriting it. And it's almost become a kind of neurosis. And let me explain how. So we started off with a very sophisticated kind of single page app. It was an elaborate, elaborate API. It can do things that things on the market cannot. Okay, so it's a tech demo, right? It's something you wave at people and you say, have you got this? They haven't got this. It's that kind of cool thing that you've done. And it was done in food. So what did I do? I threw all the foo out and I've been replacing it with stimulus. There's no good reason for this. Right? Other than I just don't like writing it that way. But it doesn't stop there. Okay. 
I also threw the back end out. So the back end was a nice, happy Sinatra app. It was sitting there, it was working, it wasn't hurting anyone. And I threw the whole thing out and replaced it with Rhoda. I don't know Rhoda. I don't not particularly good at Rhoda. Rhoda's particularly, you know, not not doing me any favors at the moment. It's making me add all this stuff I didn't have before, like CSRF, which I don't understand and I'm not convinced I really need. And it's got things like proper security in it, whereas my old system didn't. And uh, so I've replaced the front end. I've replaced the back end. What else has there to change? Well, I'll tell you what else I've changed. I've changed the hosting environment. So this started off as a relatively straightforward VPS, kind of, you know, put it on Ubuntu, uh, stick passenger on it. I've thrown that out as well. Now it's using an S3 compatible API for file storage. And it's running on a, some kind of multi-process Puma instance plugged straight into Apache for a reverse proxy. No part of this project has been unreworked. It hasn't even gone to a client yet. This is not, this is some kind of intellectual fetish. I've, I've, I've stopped being a software engineer and I've started to be some kind of tortured individual who can't stop rewriting the same code over and over again. Tell me, tell me you have this experience. Oh, absolutely. I mean, before, before I started even consulting, I, I tried my own startup and that, that was the bane of my existence was Hang on a rewriting second. You tried it your own startup? from the bottom up. <laughs> Man. Uh, way, ba- way, way back when. <laughs> I stopped going this? to school and tried to start up my own thing. Uh, maybe 2000, 2008, maybe. Cool. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, I actually discovered the Rails tutorial of DHH, you know, the blog right. in 10 minutes or whatever it was. And I saw that video and I thought, well, if you, if I can make a blog in 10 minutes, imagine what I could do with, you know, my free time. <laughs> right. The lightning's in the and, bottle, uh, 2008. I it's actually like the went, kind of golden years. Yeah. And so I had this idea of, uh, you know, making it easy to connect local artists and musicians to local venues and uh-huh. coffee shops and things like that. And so I set out on a, a trek to make that happen. And it, it just ended up in <laughs> the worst way possible <laughs> in constant rewrites of the same thing over and over again. And I know exactly where you're coming from. <laughs> that's a really cool story it's, though. It's so, so did, hard it's so hard to break free from that cycle <laughs> did did you drop out yeah yeah so i decided i had learned enough and cool. dropped out and tried to tried to pursue uh my dreams as it were at that time in my life <laughs> which you know as a, as a young person you know you don't really know what you want <laughs> i've never dropped out i've been kicked out but i've never never dropped out but yeah, I mean, it's hard to stick with what you've written, for sure. I mean, in 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 any aspect of your software, right? It's definitely a, a common issue, is especially when you're kind of just doing it. It seems like you were doing it for fun, for your own benefit, right? <laughs> you're going and you're reworking all this stuff. You, I imagine that you wanted to play with this new idea that turbo links had uh mm-hmm. and so you investigated and and built your own portion of it exactly. uh, and I, I imagine that you would p- probably wanted to explore the reverse proxies and putting your stuff in s3 and how all that would work and it it's almost like 
our desire to innovate and create things just like trumps everything else <laughs> to to the point where there's just always so many external innovations that we need to steamroll our own things again and again in order to adapt. Right? I, I just think of, I know I have several Rails apps where I've just made kind of just in passing just to play around with some things. And I'll go back and I'll try and upgrade them. And, and you know, there's upgrade problems. And I'll say, well, why don't I just create a new app that does the same thing and has all this new stuff? <laughs> right. And so I'll end up basically recreating everything kind of like as you've done and rebuilding all of the things that were already working. <laughs> Most so, of my creation. So why, why did you do it? What's I'm really interested to find out what, what was drive what was the driving force of, of each of these things where you had something working, but you're like, Let, let's go specifically with Sinatra. Yep. And you thought, I really need this in Rhoda. I don't. What's, I don't, I, what's happening I, in the brain of Luke in this moment? My my cat scratches my furniture. It doesn't know why it does it. It doesn't even think, you know, it doesn't conceptualize the meaning of this action. It just likes doing it, right? And I think there, that is a big part. That's a big part of my my motivation was not not a conscious strategy, but a primal urge to to rejig it. The a lot of my creative energy comes from negativity. This is what really drives me on is negativity. So I get annoyed at stuff, and this is where I get the most motivation. So I get annoyed with limitations of file storage. So I'll go and get use S3. I get annoyed with S3. So I find an S3 compatible stack and I'll run it on my own hardware, which is far more precisely tuned than Amazon for cost, but still has compatible API. I'll get annoyed with having to write the same code twice, once on the front end, once on the back end for Foo. And I'll look at the hot wired server rendering uh, HTML over the wire stack. And this is like part of the what drives me personally, but from a creative point of view, now that we've established that this is not just me, that other people sit there rewriting stuff without actually ever finishing it off, <laughs> I'll tell you my theory as to why this happens, why pretty much every developer has that unfinished app that just kind of keeps getting refined but never really gets out the door. And my grand theory for why we all have this unfinished business is that it's not engineering, it's art. So what we're doing when we do these projects is not like putting up a shelf, not that putting up a shelf can't be art. It's not like fixing a pipe, not that fixing a pipe can't be art. But when we are doing these projects, these are creative works. These can never really be finished because they're not as straightforward as getting a job done. It was never really about getting a job done. It was about creating this thing, this object that meets our desire to build something in a particular way for a particular reason. So this is my grand theory. These unfinished business, the unfinished business, these unfinished projects are not engineering. They are works of art. And as such, you know, like like rewriting your novel ten times, like re-sketching your work, like, you know, I don't know, getting halfway through knitting something and then throwing away and starting again because you're not happy with it. 
that is what we are doing. We are being creative, not scientific. I would love to see a marketplace where I could just read through these. <laughs> where I could just see all these creations. If they are art, they're meant to be seen, right? If, if we are going to distill this down to uh, a matter of expression, right? Really, we should be sharing the expressions and showcasing them. I would, I would love to see a huge library of, you know, and it doesn't have to be tied to anybody. It could be completely anonymous uh, if you wanted mm -hmm. that. It would be great to just see what people are making, right? Like, it, does, it doesn't even have to be finished, right? Preferably not. Uh -huh. It doesn't have to work. Uh, where it would just be, here's something I was playing with, and mm -hmm. here's where, here's what it is. <laughs> and you could just go and look at how people made something. I don't know. I think that, I know GitHub is kind of supposed to be that, right? But I feel like it's less of a creative expression platform and more of a, this is where Resume. you put your code kind of thing. It's kind of become LinkedIn for coders now, hasn't it? <laughs> Especially after um, Stack Exchange canned their their jobs bit this year. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. What are your thoughts? I, have you gone and explored other people's code at all, or, or do you not care about? <laughs> I got, I got a personal too, question too, for you. Sure, I got a personal question for you. What's the last bit of code, the last project, the last thing that you read, but it wasn't part of your job? You weren't using it for a project yeah or trying to use it you were just reading it to see how it worked the last project where you had a look at the code just to see how they've done it i would say the the most recent one is uh probably the object shapes for ruby that are coming out mm -hmm. that the team at shopify is proposing be be merged and or not merged but uh that just that they're exploring for c ruby that was probably the last one I did. We need to put a link to that in the show notes because I haven't heard of that. What is that? So if you've ever heard of Truffle Ruby, it's another Ruby I implementation. Uh, the very speedy round. Yep, round. So, yeah. Uh, so, I, I mean, that's where it gets the most attention, right, is their benchmarks, uh, which are attention-grabbing, right? There's significant orders of magnitude faster in some cases. But the some of the fundamentals that make it fast are mm -hmm. what... Chris Seaton, who who works on on a lot of the internals of that, he gives lots of talks on what he calls object shapes, and basically shaping kind of metadata of objects. So if everything in Ruby is an object, if you had specific metadata attached to each of those objects, it would be easier to locate them in memory, easier to uh, make sense of them. In a, in a graph or, or something of that nature, and it's easier to manage basically the memory and, and machine aspects related to those objects. And so there is a proposal kind of uh, out there to initially look into that. And I was exploring kind of the work that they had started doing on that. Uh, it's kind of interesting. That is pretty cool. I like this. So what about you? What's the project that you've uh, looked at recently that hasn't been work-related, but that you were interested in? It was something Jeremy Evans did, which was a error track, so a bit like kind of airbrake or airbit, but it was just the kind of standalone, non-compatible thing which he'd done and posted up. And I was just kind of looking at it, poke it. That was the reason, but th that that action, the act, the act of just kind of having a look at the code and going, Ooh, I wonder how this works. You know, just 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 for to kind of satisfy your curiosity, not because you need it for work, not because you actually need it to solve a problem, just to kind of go and have a nose around, go and have a poke, kind of to uh, 
peer behind the curtain. It's that activity, that curiosity, that kind of, oh, I wonder, that I wanted to tap into. But I love your idea of a, of a GitHub for broken code, a GitHub for projects where maybe you don't want to be associated with them. Some kind of a confessional, a confessional GitHub of projects uh, that are kind of abandoned where you don't want anyone, you don't want to hear about it. Someone forks it. You just kind of want to throw it out there. Yeah. You know, they they don't even have to work. Don't even bother upgrading, you know, just, just throw it up there. I've got a name for it. It's probably already taken, but my name for this website, this kind of four chan of, of code is shit hub. (laughs) Oh no. I don't know if that would work. Get the URL while well, it's available. It's gotta be a name. <laughs> I forget there there is a site for startups that have failed. There's startup graveyard or something like that, where they keep track of just things that didn't work so that you can explore if you're, you know, maybe heading in the wrong direction <laughs> with an idea you have. I, I like the idea. I think it's a brilliant idea. Of this kind of uh, anonymous anonymous code repository, it would get it would get abused. You know, people would put the Microsoft source code on it before you've uh, before you've blinked. They'd be up uploading the leaked source of Cyberpunk twenty, whatever it was. You know, so I know people would use it some kind of WikiLeaks. As soon as you started an anonymous code repository, you'd have it full of some kind of you know all this kind of inappropriate stuff. But I, I love the idea. We'll see. Who knows if somebody will make it or not? Uh, I mean, I certainly am kind of eager to uh, just post up stuff on GitHub now of mine that I that I just don't use. But you know, hey, <laughs> maybe I'll make a a new GitHub user that, you know, I could just dump all this stuff to and make a, a, a entry point page for like my projects of shame. <laughs> People's GitHub, your GitHub now is kind of part of your professional resume. People do look at it. You know, I always look at people's GitHub when they apply for jobs and I'm doing interviews. So I think now, you know, there is a bit more reluctance to kind of put wacky stuff that you've done on your GitHub. Uh, so I think people do need a kind of code alt account to post post things they're maybe not particularly particularly proud of yeah i mean maybe that maybe that's the wrong way then right maybe a site needs to exist that is separate that completely anonymous you throw it up there and say here is something that doesn't work but it was fun to make i think (laughs) (laughs) brilliant Speaking, speaking of um, speaking of unfinished business, we probably we, we probably should finish this episode. <laughs> so, although the business will perhaps forever forever remain unfinished, the episode must come to a close sooner or later. Must come to a close. So, I suggest we do some picks. Sounds good. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, Go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out 
how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Now I had a, I had a pick. I did have a pick and I wrote it down. I just need to, I just need to remember why. <laughs> I just need to remember why I picked it. It's been quite a coding heavy week this week. Well, while you're looking for that, I do have a few I can share here. I came across the website of the former Nintendo president, uh, Hiroshi Yamauchi. I guess the the family of Yamauchi has this kind of incredible site for him that just, it, it's just wild. I recommend you check it out. It's one of the the most awesome websites I've seen in probably the longest time. And that's uh, y n 10.com and just truly incredible. Check that out. And another pick I have here is this really great episode of Remote Ruby with Jose Valim recently, creator of Elixir. And, and they just talk about his contributions to Rails, what that was like being a Rails core contributor, what moved him into Erlang and to create Elixir. I just get so inspired hearing him talk about that journey of his and how he's gotten involved in Phoenix and uh, the whole live view stuff. It's just, it's just really incredible. Uh, I learned something new every single time. Definitely check that out. And then, yeah, that's it. <laughs> I had another one. I can't remember it now. What do you got, Luke? That's very cool. I used to work near Osaka, Osaka which I think is Nintendo HQ still. I think they're still based in Osaka. They used to steal all our devs anyway. They all used to go to Osaka and get paid a lot more money and make Mario games, bless them. My pick this week is something boring and back-endy as usual, and it's about materialized views. These are big database queries that you need to build your page, except may, there may be kind of pages, queries that you know don't change very often. Uh-huh. So you do the query in advance and you cache it at the database level. And this makes your application your kind of really slow, kind of grinding Rails application, which used to take six seconds to load, now loads 200 milliseconds. People go, wow, I can't believe this page is so fast. And the trick is that you kind of use this to use the database. You just do the query in advance, right? So it's, it's not a very complicated trick. Now, the gem for doing this on Rails is called, or a gem for doing it on Rails, is called Scenic. Yeah, and this lets you um, create these kind of uh, materialized uh, views through Active Record. So that's a really great way of getting into it. Now, the reason I picked up this week is because of a PG Analyze episode last week. So PG Analyze team do these little five-minute videos of the latest and greatest technologies in Postgres. And they covered a plugin for the very latest version of Postgres, probably nothing you're running in production, like Postgres, it's for Postgres 21, it's for Postgres 30, no it's not, it's for Postgres 14, but a fairly cutting edge feature. And what this does is if you have one of these cached database queries, if you have one of these materialized views, it will automatically update it when the underlying data is changed and it's called an incremental materialized view. And before you had the kind of classic cache invalidation problem, right? So if you decide to use this technology, then you end up with stale data 
and they just kind of breaks their app and everyone complains, which is why, you know, people tend to tend to not use it because they have a bad time with it, right? Even though it makes your app really fast, it also breaks it and it's a lot of work. But these in- incremental materialized views, this Postgres plugin, I feel could really change the game here. And pages which previously were kind of really slow, you could kind of drop this in on a kind of mostly reads, very rarely written to, uh, you could drop that into an existing app and it would make it really fast. It's not ready for production yet, although you could run it and it is brand new. But that's my pick for this week as a really interesting technology that might be coming to us soon, which is an incremental materialized view. That's awesome. I, I love materialized views. I must confess, I don't use them in production yet. And like the theme of this episode, my materialized views are also part of my kind of list of unfinished projects that have never actually, actually made it out to a customer. But I, I can dream them, you know, one day, one day my materialized views will be a reality and they will be, instead of the views being hidden, those views will one day be viewed. Well, thank you for joining us on this journey of cowardice and frustration, this kind of expose of those jobs, these projects, these uh, gems, these libraries, these um, ideas that never really get fully realized. And here's hoping that all of your unfinished projects, all of those pipe dreams, all those things you never really got around to will uh, soon be finished. Why not? Why not this weekend? Why not neglect your partner and kids? Why not not do that really important thing you had to do around the house? Why not just take a weekend for yourself and finish off that project that you know could make you the next um, Mark Zuckerberg or uh, Jeff Bezos? But uh, that's all from us at Ruby Rogues this week. Thank you very much for listening. And I expect we'll join you next week with a more serious episode. Thank you very much. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.